0: Hey everybody, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. This is going to be episode 9, Your First Inspection, part 2. This is going to be our follow-on to part one. Uh, Hopefully you've just listened to that one. If you haven't, there's a lot of good information in there talking about the things that you need to have and things you need to do, things you should not do and all that good stuff in preparation for your first hive inspection and all the uh, kind of tips, tools, techniques that you're going to use for all of your follow on inspections as well. Uh, As you may recall, when we, when we last left off with our hero, um, when we uh, left off on the last episode here, we were talking about bees that occasionally don't recognize space to the left, right, or above them as expandable space. So if you think about the frames that are in the hive, sometimes the bees can actually get up against them and almost view it as a wall. So there are a couple of tricks that you can do to help make that space usable, make the force, the bees to draw up that comb and start taking advantage of it and making it available to them. So, Let's talk first about a, just like, let's talk about like a regular deep. If you have a single deep Langstroth hive, 10 frames, the bees are going to start in the middle. They're going to start around frames five and six. They're going to start drawing up the comb. Queen will start laying and they will start expanding outward as they need space. Generally, it's not too hard to get them to go, you know, two, three, four, five frames. Sometimes that's where they start to struggle a little bit. And again, this is probably going to depend a little bit too on on your. Geographically, where you are in the country and things too. I say that because your nectar flows and things may be different. So, where I am, you know, they may find that as the dearth and the periods of less pollen and nectar that are being available, that they tend to maybe not draw up comb as much. Because, you know, the, if the bees don't have carbohydrates, if they don't have nectar or sugar syrup or something that's available to them, they're not going to draw up comb. So that can certainly play a role and have an impact in this. But assuming that there's a good nectar flow and that everything that would be optimal conditions for bees to rear, you know, queens to rear new brood, we're assuming that those conditions are are ideal. So what you can do is, you know, bees have defined spaces for things. They put things exactly where they want them so that they are just logical to what they do and to the way they live. One trick, and this is not something that that I came up with. I wasn't hanging out keeping bees one day. I was like, oh my God, what an amazing idea. This is something I learned from Michael Palmer out of the, he's a Vermont beekeeper. He's had a lot of great content on YouTube with him. He's a great beekeeper kind of a character, but he talks about violating bee space. And it's basically if you kind of envision like a cross section of a hive body in that center area is typically going to be nothing but brood. And that's going to start out as being maybe a single frame, but over time it's, you know, three, four, five, six frames. And then it will expand upward. So maybe the, the hive body or the super that is above that deep might have maybe the center two or even three frames you know loaded up with brood but a queen can only lay so many eggs within a you know a given time period you typically don't see her expand well beyond that but, but I've I've definitely seen her work within the lower you know 5 or 6 and go up 2 or 3 perfectly normal but a lot of times again that they space everything they place everything exactly where they want it to be for a purpose for for uh, you know very specific reason so one way to get them to take action is to, as you know, Michael Palmer says, you're going to violate bee space. So what you can do, let's say you have this 10-frame Langstroth hive, and let's say that the three frames in the middle are just loaded up with brood. So this would be like frames four, five, and six. Loaded up with brood, looking great. And then maybe on either side of those you have a good you know, nectar frame, maybe a little bit of, of capped honey and then everything on the outside is not drawn up. What you would do in this case, this would be actually a great opportunity to add another hive body, and what you would do is go right into that brood chamber, grab frame five or six, whichever one makes sense, preferably one that has loaded up with capped brood, and pull that frame out. Add another hive body on top, and just you're literally going to move that frame straight up so if it was in position five on the lower deep put it up into position five in the upper deep and then put just a blank frame of foundation drop that into the space that was previously occupied by the capped brood this is going to accomplish two things this is going to force those bees to draw up that comb really quickly because you've dropped a blank empty canvas in the middle of their brood chamber, and that area is for brood. So they have to put brood in it. That's what it's for. That's what they're going to do. You drop that frame in there of some foundation, and I'm telling you, probably within like two days, it's completely drawn up and the queen's down there laying eggs. I mean, it's, it's no joke. What that also accomplishes is since you were planning potentially in this kind of scenario that I presented here, you were probably close to adding another super anyway, what this is now doing by raising that frame of brood into the upper deep is this is forcing, because the bees are naturally, those nurse bees that are caring for the brood, their job is to keep them warm, to keep after them, take care of them, make sure everything is fine. When they vacate the cells, you know they go through and clean everything up. They feed the young larvae, So their, their job is tending to brood. So as that frame of brood moves up into that upper hive body, they immediately know, okay, I got to go follow that. I have to go up there and keep an eye on that. And they will flock to, you'll, I mean, I'm telling you, you can take that frame out. You could shake all the bees off of it, move it up into that upper hive body and just watch. And the bees will just come right up and they'll cover it up and, and get right to work. So that's, again, a combination of two things is what I did there. One, we did one where we added a hive body. And simultaneously to that, we force them to draw up some of that comb. Now, if you didn't want to add that hive body, but you did want to expand things a little bit, what you could do is take one of the frames from the edge, so frames one or 10, and then go into the middle and slide everything, you know, one way or the other so that you make just enough room to insert a blank frame. And you'll do the exact same thing. You can insert a blank frame from one of the edges right into the middle, And, you know, within a couple of days, it'll be drawn up, drawn comb. The queen can start laying on it, and it's ready and usable. So those are a couple of little tricks to kind of force the bees to do what you want them to do. So I figured since we're we're kind of on the topic, or at least we were as we were wrapping up the, the end of the part one, we were talking a little bit about swarms, and I had mentioned, you know, a colony of mine that had swarmed. So I figured this might be the right time of year to go ahead and talk about that anyway. Plus, I know that I've been personally just absolutely slammed lately. Uh, as As I kind of mentioned a while back, I am sort of retiring from the full time IT work. and am you know doing apiculture and a couple other things, sort of uh, full time, trying to make a new path forward here in life. There's a lot of reasons behind it. I don't want to. <laughs> I want to stay in my my podcast swim lane here and just talk about bees, but. I'm just done. So uh, with that, there's there's so much stuff going on. I'm just absolutely slammed. And I love, I really, really love talking about bees and, and doing bee work and things. So I'm trying to get as much into this time that I have right now because it's actually pretty late. It's It's early Saturday morning right now. But I really wanted to get this done. And hopefully I can bring this content out more regularly. I just, it's just been pretty hectic lately. But in case for some reason, like I said, between... Usually mid April to mid May, where we are here in Virginia. Tends to be that swarm season. So in the event that I don't get anything out again for another week or two or or even longer, hopefully not. But that being the case, if it is, want to make sure we talk a little bit about swarming, things you should look for, you know, what it means. You know, we did cover that in the last episode about, you know, why colonies swarm and, and what that's all about. But I want to kind of dig in a little bit and, and talk about the Well, I'll I'll tell you first, what I'll do is I'll talk about what I'm going to do with the colony that swarmed on me just uh, yesterday. I'm also going to talk about the new colony that has been formed from that, as well as the old colony and kind of some of the ramifications of that swarm. And then we'll talk about some of the cells that we would see inside the colony that would help us get a better understanding of exactly what's going on. Because just because you see a queen cell doesn't necessarily mean it's a swarm cell. So we're going to talk about that too. So as I I mentioned uh, previously, we had the colony that swarmed today, yesterday, technically. And, you know, what does that really mean for the gaining, you know, new colony that's been formed? And what does it mean for the old colony that is still left behind? So when a swarm takes place, you're going to lose roughly about half of your bees. About half of them are going to go with the new queen, which, is the, which was actually the original queen. She's left, and then you'll have one of her daughter queens left behind to take over the operation, to take over the family business. So let's just talk about the one that's left behind. Now, the good news for them is that they had a big, massive population. They were able to get a lot of food stores and reserves, and, I mean, they were just really, really healthy, and things were going great. But we got a couple challenges now. The virgin queen that will be born and taking over in the coming days, she'll have about a week, about a week gap between when she's born and when she starts laying eggs. So we're really not going to have a big break in brood production here, which is good. That's really good for that colony. So as long as there's still a steady nectar flow, right, as long as you still have access to pollen and nectar, the queen will still lay eggs, and they'll be fine. I will be supplemental feeding this summer. I'll be putting out supplemental pollen, so they shouldn't have any issue with continuing to breed. The kind of downside to things is with losing that population, they've lost some of the bees that are there to defend the hive. They've lost foragers. They've lost you know a lot of, of resources and, and and personnel you know manpower. So they kind of have to start over, and. I would say on the bright side, it's an early season swarm. Normally for me, really, I usually start seeing swarm cells about a week or two later than this. And I my swarms usually are around the first week of May, maybe late last week of April. But this year, the weather has been really pretty good overall. And I think that contributed to why this colony was so successful so early. So what I need to do with that colony now is I need to go in, do a full inspection. I'm actually, for now, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold off for a couple of days and maybe take a look on Sunday, I think. Maybe maybe even Monday. But I want to just go through and see, you know, do I see a virgin queen or a queen in there at all? I'm going to look at those queen cells like I mentioned on the previous episode to see if it looks like a queen has emerged or was a queen eliminated by another queen while she was still inside the queen cell. So I want to kind of take a look at that. I don't want to make any big decisions. You don't want to go in and say, oh, wow, there's no eggs, there's no queen, and start you know freaking out or anything. I'm going to give the colony a full week. But what I really want to do is get in there and just kind of look around and just see if the new virgin queen's even been born. Because if I go in there and I find like three or four queen cells in there that haven't hatched yet, then I'm probably just going to go ahead and make a couple more splits. I'll probably leave, you know, maybe if, let's say I found four queen cells in there. I'll probably leave two behind and then I'll take two and form two more new colonies. Just a couple of, you know, small two frame nukes and go from there and see how that works out. But the real inspection is going to come in about a week where I'll go through the exact same process like I would as if I was establishing a a new colony. I need to go in there and verify that a, a virgin queen that was a daughter queen of the original, she's been born, she's gone out, she's mated, she's laying eggs. And probably the next step in all of this is going to be going through the colony and just kind of doing a reallocation of resources, assets, and space. So, like I said, it's a 15-frame nuke. It's 5 over 5 over 5 frames. And, you know, I just need to see, I mean, is there too much space? You know, do they have a a lot of uh, honey that I can use to basically use as feed for starting other colonies? Now, normally, you know, you think of the idea of going into a hive or a colony like this and saying, well, wait a minute, you know, they've stored 7 or 8 frames of honey and you're going to take it away. Well, this is part of kind of that growth process. So when I'm when I'm trying to grow and expand and add more colonies, I'm going to supplemental feed them sugar water for the next four months anyway, right? Once we get into probably early to mid-June, so I shouldn't say four months, early to mid-June all the way through like early August. So for about eight weeks, any bees that I don't have either on watermelon or something else, which is really going to be done by then, if I don't have them on a pollination contract or feeding somewhere, I'll be supplemental feeding them. If I were not trying to grow in size in total number of colonies, I would definitely want to leave that honey behind because they would need that to make it through this dearth that we're about to go through in the summer where there's just not a lot of resources available to them. Um, In fact, I would probably still have to supplemental feed them, especially if they swarmed. Now, let's talk about the colony that left with the mother queen. So they're now going into a new space they have to occupy. Now, even though I put drawn comb in there, I know that comb is not clean to their standards. So they got to go through, polish everything up, and make sure that all of those cells are nice and clean. And then that queen can go in and start laying eggs. They will not see new bee number one for over three weeks. So they have to have enough bees left with them in that swarm to go out and forage and bring back nectar, you know, they they need protein and carbs, so they need to bring back pollen and nectar. They need to be drawing up comb, they need to be getting everything ready, laying eggs, caring for the the new, you know, brood that are going to be born. So they've got a lot of work to do. Since there are no resources if they swarm, like if they swarmed and left and went somewhere brand new, they have nothing, right? They would have no comb drawn. No food, no reserves, no nothing. Now, I put a frame, of the four frames I put in, one of them had honey, a little bit of honey, and one of them had pollen. So if we do get a couple of days of bad weather, they get to keep working. So right now, they've had all day today. I think the weather's going to be nice for the next several days. So they should be able to pull in enough resources pretty quickly. And in, in all honesty, as productive as that colony has been, probably a week from now, I'll be putting another hive body on top of that with four frames and they'll just be, they'll be working it. I mean, they're just the genetics on that queen are just so amazing. So I just, all I'm going to do is I'm not doing anything this week. I know that she's there. I'll go back and look again next weekend. And I just want to, all I'm looking for is again, same thing I mentioned about any other standard inspection. I'm going to open it up. I want to look and make sure that I can see her would be ideal. If I don't see her, I'm looking for eggs. So I'm going to look for eggs. larvae. if I see an egg, I know she's laid that within the past 24 hours. Young larva is maybe only going to be, you know, two or three days old. That's kind of what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to look for. So that pretty much wraps up everything with you know, the losing colony and the gaining colony, or the, the colony that where the, the queen left and we now have a new virgin queen, as well as what we're going to do with the new colony. So again, the key takeaway with all those is, inspections on both. We're looking for eggs and looking to hopefully put our eyes on the queen, verify that she's there. And that's pretty much all there is to that. Saving money on your outdoor
1: project now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FBP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify! <laughs>
0: the different types of cells that you might see inside the hive. So we know from our previous discussions that the queen will actually lay the eggs of new queens or daughter queens. or queens that would be taking over for whatever reason. But I think it's important to talk about the three primary different types of cells that we're going to see that are queen cells. Because, you know, you have regular worker brood. you would see you have drone brood, which is a a deeper, wider kind of cell. These are typically on the edges. And then the other cells that I'm specifically talking about right now, which are cells that we would look at or think about typically or more often at this time of year. And those would be supersedure cells, swarm cells, and emergency cells. So breaking those down, you know, one by one. So a supersedure cell is basically something you would see. This is this is a kind of a planned event. A queen only has a certain number of eggs that she can lay in her lifetime. Now, a good healthy queen will lay somewhere around you know 1,500, 2,000 eggs a day. As that queen ages, her ability to lay eggs and to be productive is going to diminish. Her amount of queen pheromone that she's putting out is going to diminish the bees and the workers they recognize that they can tell when their queen is starting to fail and that's when they will supersede her that's when they basically say hey love you got to go so they will basically take a you know an area in the, and they and supersedure cells tend to be more in the middle in the center area of a frame but it will look very similar to what you would see in a standard queen cell or a swarm cell, but it's just a, a cell that's in the middle of the, of the frame. And what this is, is this is the colony basically saying, you know, they're kind of voting her off the island and she's done. So just like any other queen cell, you know, she'll lay the egg, they'll take care of the new queen. And then when the new queen is born, the old queen's out and that's it. Now, there are a couple things that you can do as a beekeeper where a lot of beekeepers will just automatically replace their queens. They don't want to have to wait for one very unproductive year or potentially even two unproductive years from a failing queen while they wait for the hive or the colony to supersede her. The queen's most productive year is the year after she's mated. So if a queen is mated in the spring of 2021, then her most productive year would be 2022. Now, like for me, what I would do is I would have her for 2021 and 2022 and then I would probably requeen the hive in the spring of 23, most likely. Now, you know, like I mentioned in one of the earlier episodes, one of the, one of the most important traits and characteristics of a queen is her ability to overwinter. That, to me, is a big deal. If you're finding you have good queens that can overwinter, that's a great genetic trait to start from because, let's face it, if they, they can have all the other traits can be amazing, but if they can't overwinter, then you're not really doing anybody any favors. So the supersedure cell, again, is, is something that the colony does to, to kind of protect itself and, and to maintain its productivity by replacing the old queen. Now, we talked quite a bit about swarming and swarm cells, and these are cells that are very much the same. And when I talk about a swarm cell, you'll know once you start looking at the, the colonies and doing inspections and you'll start seeing what normal cells and things look like, it looks kind of like a peanut, or like a peanut shell and swarm cells tend to be closer towards the bottom of the frame and this is kind of what I really like about using nucleus colonies as my primary colonies because I can do an inspection really really quickly I can go up to the colony separate the top nuc from the bottom one and then just look up from the bottom and lots of times if there are swarm cells you can see them from there so that's kind of a quicker easier way to do some some fast inspections a little bit of a sidebar there but swarm cells will tend to, you know, show up under those conditions where the bees are getting crowded. They're a springtime kind of thing. They will typically I don't I don't think in a healthy colony. I don't think I've ever seen less than probably two or three. But I've seen, like I said the other day the one here at the house, I think there were probably 12 or 13 total in there. I've seen, you know, quite a few before, but You know, normally you'll see anywhere between one and two across, you know, three or four frames, not unusual at all. And that swarm cell is basically saying we have too many of us here. We're overcrowded. we got to split up. And, you know, it's not even uncommon for a colony to even split more than once. I've seen scenarios where a colony, I'm sorry, not split, to swarm more than once. So they'll basically swarm, and then another queen will be born later, or even multiple queens are born later and they'll swarm again. So that's where you talk about swarm mitigation and what you do to prevent it. Like once that that impetus to swarm, once that pheromone, that signal is out that, hey, we're going to swarm, it's a really difficult process to stop. I mean, when I was in there the other day and I saw all those queen cells and I saw that they were, you know, they were capped and closed off and I just thought, geez, this is going to happen any day now. I don't think there was much I could do to stop it. But the trick behind it is, you know, they don't want to leave or swarm from a colony that doesn't have a queen left behind. That's catastrophic. So, you can if you get in early enough and you see for example, you see a queen cup and there's no egg in it. I typically if I see a queen cup but there's no egg in it, I usually leave them alone. Because I figure if they do need to make a queen, it's nice to already have the queen cup ready. But if I go in and I see a frame with the queen cell, I'll usually have a sharpie with me or or something to write with. And I'll just put a little mark on the frame. And then I'll go and I'll look at the next one and I'll just try and see how many of them, you know, will have queen cells on. Let's just say as an example that I found two frames with queen cells. If it's a time of year where it's time to do some splitting, I'll go ahead and track down the queen Make sure I'm not moving her with that frame that I'm sending over. I'll take a frame of brood and a frame of some honey, go start a new nuke. And then I'll take the other frame and I'll do the exact same thing. As long as I know my queen is there and she's doing okay, I see eggs, so she's healthy, she's laying, everything looks good. If you can get every queen cell out of there, that is a great opportunity to split your hives and expand your own apiary for free. It doesn't cost you anything. And you can get several new colonies every spring. But the real trick there is you have to make sure that you get them all. You need to look at every single frame. I have seen it happen before where I've done it myself, where I've gone through and I thought, okay, I got them all. I'm good to go. There's no way they're going to swarm now. And then they swarm and I go in and look and I'm sure enough there, you know, there's a group of bees that were clustered in one area and right behind it, there was a queen cell and I missed it. So you definitely want to be cognizant of that. You don't you don't want the swarm to happen. I just got super, super lucky yesterday when I saw the swarm happen. I got out there quickly. I had all the parts and materials ready. And two hours later, I had captured my own queen and, and we're back in business. That was really lucky because that is such a great breeder queen that is going to be kind of the basis for queens of my apiary for the next couple of years until I find a better one. So uh, anyway, last kind of cell I want to talk about is the emergency cell. So an emergency queen cell is one where, for whatever reason, something has happened to the queen, and they need to make a new queen. Now, I've mentioned several times about this, but I I just want to be really clear. A group of honeybees that has eggs, right, if they have eggs from a queen that are very new eggs, if you put a group of eggs together— With a bunch of honeybees and no queen, they can make queens. So this is actually a way that that I've done several times when I wanted to do splits years ago. When I first started keeping bees, I didn't do it the right way. I had to mess it up a whole bunch of times before I realized exactly how it was done. But uh, an emergency cell is created from a regular section of brood, and it is a situation where something's happened to the queen. So let me give you an example. I go in to do an inspection. I'm looking around on a frame, and let's say I think I see the queen. I'm like, oh, there she is right there. And then I split the hive, and I take the you know a frame, make a nuke, sell a nuke to somebody, and then I've got my regular colony left behind with my queen. Everything's great. Well, it turns out that I, my queen was in the nuke that I just sold. So now I sold somebody a nuke with a queen cell in it, maybe, or maybe, you know, typically you would you would sell a mated queen. But let's just say I was giving a friend a nuke with a queen cell in it that was going to be born within a couple of days. Well, now he's got a queen cell that's probably going to get killed by my queen, and he's got my original queen, and he has my nuke, and my existing colony is now queenless because I gave away my queen. Now, that's just one example. I gave away the queen. Maybe I moved a frame around. And she was walking by, and I set the frame down on her and it crushed her. Maybe, you know, maybe some yellow jackets or something were attacking the hive, and for whatever reason, somehow they got to her and they killed her, or, you know, whatever the case may be. But anything that happens to the queen, if it's an emergent situation, completely unplanned, unexpected, not a swarming situation, not a supersedure situation, all they need to do is grab. You know, an egg or a young larva, wherever it is, and they will immediately start feeding that royal jelly, continue feeding the royal jelly, and they'll make that larva into a queen. Now, emergency cells typically don't always make the best queens, but if that egg slash larva is, is designated early on, the earlier the better, the healthier that queen will be. If you have a larva that's already, you know, three or four days old, you know, you're, you're kind of almost outside the window of being able to create a good, healthy queen but as long as there's access to eggs and young larva, they can make a new queen. And those would be emergency cells. So real briefly, I just want to talk about, you know, we've mentioned identifying queens, finding queens, looking for eggs, things like that. I want to just talk real quick about the three types of honeybees that you're going to see inside the colony, right? We, we know that we're going to have a queen and workers and drones. So drones are pretty easy to identify, right? They're just, they're a little bit bigger and fatter, kind of wobbly looking. They're almost, they're they're almost like bumblebee, like, you know, they're just kind of goofy looking guys that are just kind of bumbling around. They're not not really doing anything productive like most guys. The queen is very distinctive. Now, when you first start looking for the queen and trying to find her, this is going to be a daunting task because you're going to be, you know, you just, you haven't seen enough queens to really know. What I would recommend, go online, search on Google, look on images you know, and just look for Italian queen bee images or Carnolian or Saskaraz or whatever kinds of queens that you have. Search for images of them and look at those and kind of try to, you know, ingrain that look, that image in your mind. Because once you start seeing queens and you know what to look for, it's super easy because they just have this really, really long abdomen and their wings only go halfway down their back. If you look at drones or workers, their wings go almost all the way to the end of their body, but not a queen. A queen has this big, massive abdomen, and half of her body, the wings end at the halfway point. And like I said, once you start looking and, and you start seeing them, you'll recognize it, and it'll be a lot easier. Another thing you can do, too, if you're holding a frame in your hand, I just this is completely unrelated, but if you're holding a frame in your hand and you're looking for bees and you're trying to find you're trying to find the queen and you're looking in a certain area. Actually, you can just, if you have a veil on, obviously, if you just bring the frame up toward your veil and just blow on them, you know, just blow, you know, just gently blow onto them, they'll move out of the way. And it it makes it really easy to, you know, to look in a certain area on a frame that you want to look at just simply by blowing on the bees. And you don't have to do like a, you know, like a hurricane level force blowing, just, you know, just a little bit of air, and you'll see them move out of the way, and it's really cool. It's easy; you don't have to use smoke. They probably prefer it better than smoke. Just kind of another way of doing things. But I definitely recommend every time you go into the the colony and you're doing a hive inspection, try to find the queen every time. Just again, the more you see her, the better you'll get at finding her. Lastly, I'm going to start wrapping things up here for the day, but I wanted to talk about a couple of things real quickly here. So I, I mentioned before that I get a lot of emails and you know people asking questions and you know asking for thoughts and ideas on things. I just wanted to share a couple of those things real quick with everybody. Because I figure if one person's going to ask, there's probably 15 or 20 at least people who are thinking about the same thing. So let's just go ahead and run through these real quick before we wrap up, and then we'll call it a day. So the first email that I had, it was a question around supplements. Do I use any kind of supplements, feeds, pollen patties, or anything like that? In the past, I've used pollen patties to overwinter. They had different types of mixtures. Some of them were more carb-heavy, and some were more more like pollen or protein-heavy. And I would use those protein ones at the top of the hive going into overwintering. And the idea behind that was that the cluster would start down low and work its way up over the winter. And as the weather got warmer, they needed that pollen to get, you know, the pollen patty in my mind. The pollen patty would provide them what they needed in order to raise brood. So they would have some, some fresh you know, pollen, give them some protein, and hopefully still some stored carbs they could use. And that would allow them to rear some new uh, new brood early in the spring. Honestly, I used them. I don't. I can't say definitively that they made a difference. I mean, I've had five hives with it and ten hives without it. They succeed or fail equally. Now, I do use. I think it's called Better Bee, but it's a it's a pollen substitute. I do use that in the in the middle of the summer. And I keep the pollen feeder out until the fall. That does seem to help. I've had quite a few bees that do take that. But outside of that and sugar syrup, to give them some supplemental carbs over the summertime, that's pretty much all I do. The other question was around Varroa treatment. What do I do? How do I do it? What I'm moving to at the more commercial kind of level would be oxalic acid, which is just it's a powder you put into a little machine, it kind of vaporizes it. You squirt it into the hive, keep the hive closed for, you know, 15 minutes or so. And that that's great for Varroa. One thing you can do, though, is you can do an alcohol wash where you basically take a jar, put some alcohol in it, grab a handful of bees, maybe, you know, maybe 100 bees, put them into the alcohol wash. You shake it up real good. And then you look at the bottom to see how many mites come out that will detach from the bees and end up at the bottom. Uh, that kind of is a way to give you an indicator as to how much furrow you have. But there are also things you can look at, too. If you have bees that are dying or having any kind of unexplained death or issues with them, check with your state apiculturist or somebody at the, at the state level. A lot of places have labs and things that you can send. I think USDA has them that, where you can actually send your bees to them. They'll do some analysis and testing, and they'll send you some feedback, and it doesn't cost anything. I want to say it was Dr. Maggie Cuvion out of Virginia Tech who had mentioned that on a discussion she gave a while back. But there are are some options out there for you. If you do have any kind of unexplained death or unusual circumstances or situations with your colonies, there are some resources there through USDA you can check into. Uh, Other question was, using a feeder inside of a nuke or with package bees, kind of a where, when, how, how would you do that? If you have a nuke, in general, you shouldn't need to use a feeder here in the spring. So in the spring, there should be, you know, a couple frames of honey in there anyway that came with your nuke. There should also be enough resources in the environment to where they should not need to have a frame feeder or any kind of a feeder. Now, that's what on that subject, I recommend a frame feeder that's inside the hive. That way, if it's pouring down rain, whatever else is going on, the bees can still draw up that sugar, which will stimulate them to, you know, to draw a comb, and it'll keep them fed, keep them alive. Very, very important for packaged bees. Package bees really need that frame feeder. And again, I keep saying frame feeder. I've had the best results with that. Now, on a full-size Langstroth hive, the top feeders are great. You get a really, you know, you can put a couple gallons in a top feeder, and that's very, very effective. The one thing I would say as far as feeding goes, stay away from the entrance feeders. I've seen and had issues with robbing between, you know, yellow jackets and others when you're putting them right there at the entrance. So I would kind of avoid that. But top feeders and frame feeders are pretty effective. Uh, The last thing on the list was talking about bee movement, which I actually discussed this earlier. You know, how do we get bees to move up in a colony or left and right? I think the question came in about, hey, you know, every year my bees will... Always leave frames on the outsides. And we talked about that earlier, what we would do with that and kind of how we would violate that bee space by putting those frames right in the middle of brood chambers or moving them up into other areas, forcing the uh, the nurse bees and others to move up to care for the brood. I'm trying to think here. That's pretty much the last thing I had on my list. The one thing I did want to mention that is related but not specifically educational in nature, I've really i held off on this for a long time. I thought about trying to put together like a YouTube channel and creating some content. And, you know, there's so many videos out there. There's so much information out there where, you know, you can just go and hit YouTube and say, you know, hive inspection. And you're going to, you can watch somebody do a hive inspection or how to find a queen bee. And you can have somebody show you a video on how to find a queen bee. I stayed away from it for a really long time, but I think what I'm going to go ahead and do is I'm going to go ahead and create a YouTube channel and just put, you know, anything I'm doing, anything that's B related or maybe even some other things I'm doing that are around the property. I'm going to go ahead and start putting some, some content out there that hopefully is beneficial, but I really, I want your feedback and good, bad, or indifferent. I, you know, if you, if you say Jeff, look, I, I watched the video the other day, man, there's 15 videos like this. It's the same stuff. Yours is okay, but it's not really any better than anybody else's. I'm okay with that. You know, I don't do this because I'm, I'm making money. I'm not, you know, I don't earn, earn money for this. Well, I, te- I guess technically I, I have recently qualified for ads. So you might see some ads or hear some ads coming in. So I guess I, I may be making like 20 cents a day or something like that, but In generally speaking, I'm not getting paid to do this. I'm doing it because I just, I really enjoy honeybees and I'm hoping that a lot of people will get excited and geeked out about it and that we can take away some of the fear and some of the things that that make people, I guess, things that are barriers of entry. I don't know. I just enjoy it. It's fun and I hope others do too. So I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to get the YouTube thing going and I'm hoping to also then be able to reference things here on the podcast and be able to say, Hey, yeah, hit the YouTube channel and look at this video. Here's the title, and that's going to show you exactly what I'm talking about today. Hopefully that works out. We'll see what happens. But anyway, I am going to go ahead and wrap things up. I definitely appreciate everybody tuning in, and I do appreciate the questions. So feel free anytime to hit me up. It's just Jeff at beekeeping dot newbiescom or you can just go to beekeeping newbiescom There's a Contact Us page there, and you can shoot me a note and let me know. Like I said, I'm looking for anything, you know, say, Hey, this is good info. Thanks. Keep it up. Or this is terrible. Leave me alone. Stop. You're killing me. But even more fun than those things would be just let me know what's going on. You know, just like, Hey, I've got five hives and you know, this is happening. We're having some fun. It doesn't have to be a question. I just get excited for other folks who are, who are doing the same thing and having fun with it. But you know, happy to answer questions where I can. And for anybody who emailed and it took me several days to get back to you, I do apologize again The notifications on my phone were kind of messed up, but I've got that worked out. All right, folks, have a great weekend. Enjoy the swarm season. If you need anything, let me know, and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again soon. Take care.